slide and at least to the book of Joshua? You are? And it's okay, good. It's not showing anything on mine, but that's all right. I will go down through this and I, I have my, uh, my print Bible always, so I try to keep that handy when that comes up. Um, we are looking here in the study in the book of Joshua. We have been here for now for several weeks. And uh, we're in finally that chapter that's probably the most familiar chapter of the book of Joshua, which is the walls of Jericho coming down and how those walls uh, came down in the time when um, Joshua and his, well, really the people marched around that city. And most of us learned probably a little child song about Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, right? And we sing that. And the reality of that song is that he really didn't fight it, all right? It was actually the Lord that just commanded them to march around, and God took care of the rest. It was really God who did the great work at Jericho. And really, that's the, the secret here of our what we're going to look at here today uh, in regard to this, um, this time and, and as far as with, uh, with Joshua in that. I'm going to pick it up. We're going to start reading in actually... Chapter 6, we're going to go down to somewhere, I can't remember what the, what the slides were. I'm going to switch mics. There we go, we're going to go to the red mic. And you can mute that mic, because I'm, I'm going to have to teach off the wall, right? My teaching's always off the wall anyways, right? There we go. All right, let's read this. It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, but the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall... Go back there. You, you went too fast. There we go. And the priest shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horns. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. And so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, and then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. 
And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful, grateful for your word. And Lord, as we open it this morning, I pray you would teach us as only you can. Lord, I thank you for the very fact that this miracle that took place so many years ago is uh, done by the same powerful God that we come to today and whose name we have gathered and we are going to worship this morning. And so now open your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some lessons that we can learn from this chapter, and I want to look at those lessons this morning. And the, the first one is actually uh, tailored so that it kind of connects with what we talked about last week a little bit. And can I have my mic up just a tiny bit, the red mic? I'm not sure if it's up. There we go. I feel like I'm trying to project, but it's not quite there. Um, we, we learned last week about the captain of the Lord's hosts, and we find that in uh, chapter 5, in verses 13 to 15. And I just want to look back and read those verses once more for you. And it says, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And so he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I now have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Last week we looked at that part of the text and we found that um, before this battle of Jericho, really this miracle at Jericho is probably better uh, said because it was God who was going to drop the walls of Jericho and they weren't going to do anything except march around at that point. And the, the feet of Jericho would involve them uh, going in and conquering the city. But what we have here is Joshua getting his priorities right. And you find that in this book where Joshua goes before the Lord, seeks direction, and we talked about that last week uh, a little bit. But the lesson number one would be a lesson on supremacy. That there is someone bigger than us and someone that we need to go to and really come before the Lord. And Joshua pictures for us that individual who does that. He, uh, he understood that there was a supreme person that person is called the Lord, and he comes before this one who is the captain of the host of the Lord. And we looked at that last week, and we saw that that indeed was um, a pre-incarnate Christ. And prior to the manifestation of Christ in Bethlehem, when he is, uh, comes into this world, uh, we find him as the eternal Son of God appearing elsewhere in Scripture. And this is one of those occasions. We looked at that as well. We know that Joshua began in chapter 6, of course, in the original uh, writings of Joshua would be all one scroll, and they would just flow right together. There is no chapter divisions. Those came, well, not that long ago for our clarity. But chapter 5 and chapter 6 connect right together. And I think that last part of chapter 5 is imperative to set the stage to when you come into, um, you come into this idea of following the Lord, because Joshua, as their leader, had to do that. He understood his position as well. And we know that Joshua comes before this one who is the captain of the Lord's host, and he falls down and he worships him. 
Before anything could take place at Jericho, under the leadership of Joshua, he first had to get his own heart right with the Lord and in tune with the Lord. And that's what really the picture of uh, as he prostrates himself and he falls before the Lord and he there gets himself right. He understands that God is big and he is not. And I think that's a great place to be when we realize God is big and we are not. In other words, as John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. And I tell you what, when that happens, we see God at work. And we see him delighting in glorifying his name and doing mighty things when we just get out of the way. And we know our own place in the proper perspective of that. We have a supreme power that is seen also in that section. When Joshua meets this one, and we talked about this last week, this man, it appears initially, he meets this man and he asks, are you for us or for them? And I always find it an interesting kind of comeback because the Lord doesn't say, I'm for you, Joshua, or I'm for them. He says, no. And, you know, sometimes we have it all wrong. Uh, You see, sometimes we think we're on the Lord's side or the Lord is on our side. And in reality, we need to be on his side. It isn't a matter of him showing up to take sides. Really, what was uh, expressed here is that he came to take over. And that's important because if we do not, if we get in the way, and, and it's, we like that. I mean, you see people, you know, their favorite, their favorite team or something, and they say, Lord, come on our side, you know, <laughs> and like calling, you know, Red Rover, Red Rover, calling the Lord right over, right? We used to play that game. And that's not how it works. God wants to take over. He wants to take over your life. He wants to take over every aspect of your life. And he's the only one that can manage it correctly. You know, if I wanted to take over your life, I don't, by the way. But, but if I did, I can tell you this. I have a hard enough time managing my own life, all right, let alone other people's lives. And to understand that I can't do that perfectly, but God can. And so I hate to tell you, but your pastor falls short in trying to manage your life, just so you know. And, uh, but I will, I will help point you to the one who can. And that's, that's part of that. There are some lessons that we have here. And ultimately, we have to understand before you come to the Jericho experience that these impenetrable walls, uh, whatever they be, and Jericho pictures for us really the whole system of the world, which is overcome by faith. And this world around us, and everything in aspect, and we live in this world, right, has lots of really thick, hard, long, high walls, right? And uh, spiritually speaking. And there are these impossible things that we face. Joshua was facing those impossible things, and he was doing so, and he was going to be victorious, and the people of Israel would be victorious because he went before the Lord and understood this lesson on supremacy. Secondly, there was this lesson on submission. This lesson on submission. And it goes with that idea of that God is big and I am not. And sometimes it's just a matter of saying, Lord, I know where's my place. In regard to him, it's always under him. We're not over him. Uh, If you want to be more than God, and and certainly man tries to do that, don't we? Um, You're in big trouble because there is no one stronger and mightier and more powerful than God. Matter of fact, that was the original, uh, original sin, uh, the sin in heaven that took place when Satan, Lucifer is his name, 
God's created angel, said, I will be like the Most High. And the outcome of that was that God cast him forth from his presence. The Bible records that. And about a third of the angels of heaven went with him. In other words, Satan wanted to be like God. And by the way, that's the same promise he gave man in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. He said, in the day you eat thereof, you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. In other words, if you just partake of the one thing God doesn't want you, the reason he doesn't want you partaking of that is because he knows you'll be like him. And Adam and Eve said, oh, that sounds good. It wasn't good. Sin entered into the picture, and with it, death and all the consequences of sin, and all the evil that has uh, perpetrated our world in doing that. We see that. God is mighty to the calling down of strongholds. I think I have some verses that come up, if you'd move ahead there on those. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. You see, there was this uh, fear that had fallen upon Jericho, They had not only known the history of Israel, they had seen the Red Sea or heard of the Red Sea parting some 40 years prior to that, but they actually had witnessed the Jordan and the crossing of the Jordan back there in chapter 3, and they had witnessed that miracle that had taken place. And it's interesting that the people of Jericho didn't stop and say, I repent and I follow the one true God. No, instead they became more dug in, but they shut everything right up. And I think there's a good important lesson in that because for some, when the word of God comes to them, they say, no, I will not submit to you, Lord. The people of Jericho didn't submit to the Lord. Now, there, was, there were some that did. We know of Rahab from chapter 2, and she also appears at the end of this chapter when she and her family are not destroyed because they believed God. Rahab particularly. She believed God and she followed after the God of Israel. And she was grafted into Israel as a Gentile by faith. And she is in the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, according to Matthew chapter 1. And I think that's kind of cool, you know, when you get down to it. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. The Lord reminds Joshua that it is a done deal, that he had given over the city. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I live in the now. (laughs) I think that's where we all live, in the now. But sometimes our heads aren't in the now. Sometimes we're in the past. And sometimes we're thinking of the future too much. But in the reality of the moment, God shows up and he says to Joshua, the city is done, it's finished, the king and all its mighty men. I've taken it already. And, you know, really, that's the promise, and it's pictured also in the gospel itself, because when Jesus died for us on the cross, and he said, it is finished, when he did that, he promised, indeed, that the payment for sin was complete. It was perfected in every way. And we see that the future aspect of that hasn't occurred yet, right? There's still lots of sin There's sin in my life, you know, things like that. Someday that'll be eradicated in his presence in glory. That's the hope of the believer. That's the hope of heaven. The the body, as it ages and it gets old and then eventually dies and is put off, that body itself will be raised up someday and made new in Christ. As a matter of fact, I have 1 Corinthians 15, 57, if you want to jump ahead to that verse. It says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's future. There isn't one of us in this room that have experienced the resurrection ourselves. All right? We experienced Christ's resurrection in some ways. By faith, we, we understood he rose from the dead. That's what this chapter is all about, the resurrection. And he says he's given us the victory. The victory over death. The victory over sin. The victory over all these things, these impenetrable walls that the same things that Joshua faced in many ways in that. And I think my computer finally came to life here. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. I love that. That is a wonderful verse. In that through the victory and victorious living, there is a fragrance of life that follows the Christian. There really is. Matter of fact, I have a couple pictures. I think this is one of them. I'm going to see if it comes up. There we go. I watched a movie this week, a documentary on, uh, on Prime, on Amazon Prime, called Free Burma Rangers. You have to rent it or buy it. But I had, it was actually Nick uh, Guglielmo that said, hey, you've got to watch this. And I thought, okay. Uh, you know, he never recommends movies. I don't think he watches a lot of movies or anything. I thought, well, I better, I'm going to do that. And so Sandy and I sat down and watched this, and it's the, it's the story of a, a marvelous story. And I, I tell you, <laughs> it, it's about this man named Dave Eubanks, okay? It's a documentary. And Dave grew up in Thailand as a missionary kid. His parents were missionaries. And yet, when he was a kid, he said, I don't feel really like a missionary. I feel more like a soldier. And so he went, in, he went to Texas A&M University, and then he was in the ROTC program there, and he was commissioned as an Army officer later on. Um, ended up uh, eventually commanding a Ranger uh, unit and went into Special Forces and then did his military stint and then got done. And he was like, what do I do now? He's a Christian. Wasn't sure. And he thought, well, I've got these unique skills. Uh, they encompassed, you know, a man of war, basically, but also as a Christian. And he said, I could use this to help people. So he chose to go, eventually he married, by the way, and, and had three kids. They chose to go to the country of Burma. Now, Burma, for the last decades, has been a, a it's actually it's been the longest civil war in human history going on uh, for decades and decades. There's been civil war, and in the '90s there were these. The Burmese army was going in and just basically, I mean, doing atrocities all through the ethnic regions of Burma that weren't on their side essentially. And Dave decided to go and use some of his skills like medical skills, things like that, to go and help people who were displaced and who were oppressed. And so he'd go right into the, like the combat areas and stuff. As people were fleeing their villages and their villages were burning, all of that, they, he would go right in there and be part of that. And his family, by the way, came with him. And, I mean, little kids, there's pictures of them going through the jungle with kids strapped on them and stuff. You say, well, that's nuts. Why would you do that to children and all that? They were all on board with this. And they went into some very dangerous situations to help people who had no help otherwise. And in many ways, bringing the light of the gospel with them. And it's interesting because that began to spread. And God used the, this former ranger to go and basically start 
a group that was people got on board with him and said, we want to do what you're doing, train us. And so they started this Free Burma Rangers. And they have been, I mean, serving in some of the most hostile parts of the world uh, since then, including like not only Burma, but later into um, like Kurdistan, also Syria, Iraq, Sudan. And they go in like literally... The, the, the part of this, and I'm not going to, if you ever want to watch it, I'm not going to destroy it for you, but I just want to say this. There's a documentary on the time, well, when ISIS was embedded there in Mo, uh, Mosul, Iraq, and the Iraqi army, this was only a few years ago, the Iraqi army had tried to displace them, and they were in very heavy combat. And the free Burma Rangers, the guys there said, we could help them. And they left Burma, and they went to Iraq, with just the Lord leading them to do this, and went in, and they go to Iraq, end up getting there to Mosul, and meet with the, the, the top Iraqi general who's there. And here's Dave Eubanks standing in front of this general, offering his own support to the general, saying, we'll help you displace ISIS, we'll help you, know, help you treat civilians or your people as far as medical needs, anything like that. And... He said, I, I felt like I needed to pray. And he said, I, it was like God told me, get down on your knees when you pray. And he said, I don't even normally do that. And he says, right in front of this general, he got right down on his knees and he began to pray. And he prayed in Jesus' name. And this general, when, he, when Dave Eubanks stood up, he looked at him. He says, I know now you're a God-fearing man. Because he humbled himself to pray to God as a Christian. That general who was a Muslim, took note of that. Over the next weeks and months, as that battle for Mosul took place, the Free Burma Rangers were right there, not only documenting the atrocities of ISIS, and that's part of their mission too, is documenting, and sometimes they're the only people actually conducting themselves as journalists in any of these hot areas because they're so dangerous. And they were rescuing civilians that had been injured, and some severely injured, um, from the rubble that was right there while under fire and got into combat with it as well, including taking fire and, and actually engaging ISIS directly, um, these guys, as a missionary. Uh, you know, it doesn't fit your worldview probably, you know. At the end of that, what stood out to me is this picture, is Dave Eubanks and this Iraqi general this Iraqi general, after they were victorious, he comes up to Dave Eubanks and he's hugging him. And he says, I prayed to God for help. And God sent me a Christian American. And you know what he said? He says, I want you to go back and tell people in America, this is how Christians should live. Wow. Listen, Everything he did was culturally inappropriate in a Muslim world, just so you know. But it was what Jesus told him to do. And he went into the most dangerous of spots, still does that. You can look him up online, freeburmarangers.org, and it's fascinating. Um, and I, I can't argue anything really about them. You know, just like they go places that nobody would ever go except that the Lord was with them, and that's the only thing you can do. And they've lost people over the years, several, uh, in combat situations. But it's really amazing. And by the way, the Americans were on board with that too. He, while he was involved in all that, 
he's on the phone with the Americans, you know, his, his own people basically, uh, having, having them drop smoke and stuff like that so that they cover their movements. And, and, and so this isn't just some fringe thing that was going on. I was like, somebody's willing to do it. I'm going to show up and do it is what he basically said. The Bible says this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall you, the flame scorch you. That's a verse particularly, specifically given to Israel. And I think just the very fact that there's still a nation of Israel out there, and, and by the way, most of Israel and the people of Israel are not following the Lord. They will someday, according to what the Bible says. They will look on him whom they pierced. That's what Zechariah says. But, you know, he promised them, and Isaiah reiterates that promise, um, that he would be with them wherever they went. And that was a promise that no doubt Joshua was clinging to back then in the, when he's facing Jericho and he's looking at it. Do you want a New Testament verse that applies to all believers? It's very simple. Hebrews 13.5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wow. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In that documentary I watched with Dave Eubanks, they interview his kids. And they asked one little kid, if there was any place in the world you could be, where would you be? He said, Burma. You know, and I mean, it's just neat. Their perspective of things is, I want to be where God was and is and doing stuff. And I just thought it was really cool. But the reason is this, because you can be in the jungles of Burma or in Mosul, Iraq, as in the middle of rubble and people shooting at you and everything else. And as a Christian, you can rest in the fact that he is with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And if I die, he's still with me. You never die alone as a Christian. Never. He's with you. Even through that and forever. I love that. There's lots of things we can look at here, but there's this plan that God had. And it's an interesting plan. I want to look at it here. It says, you shall march around the city, all you men of war. Now, these men of war are like, I can do that. I can march. We'll do it. Let's go. And, but it, look at the rest of it. You shall go around the city once, and this you shall do six days. What? I'm going to march six days in a row around the city. The whole city of ancient Jericho was on about nine acres and estimated in a you know, marching fashion, you probably could march around it in like 20 to 30 minutes. And so every day they had to show up and they would have to march around the city at least once. And it says, And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, but the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. So you have this picture of them marching around every day, and I can only imagine what the people of Jericho thought. Well, this is weird. Your men of war are out front. Then the priests, these Levitical priests, and their priestly garments, and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and they're moving around the city. What are they doing? There's no battle plan out there for this, just so you know. There's no, you know, textbook written on how to take a city that incorporates something even remotely like this, but is what God had. And by the way, that's the way God plans things. It's his plan, not ours. All we have to do is follow, all right? And that's the gospel message. How is it that through death, 
you can have victory over death. Death of a Savior, death of Christ. And he, he died and is victorious through the resurrection. But he overcomes death with death. I mean, that's not my plan, but that's his plan. He brings life out of death, all those things. And I don't have time to go in a lot here, but just to say that the number seven in the Scripture is a number of completion, and it is a number associated with God often. The number six is associated with man, and it falls short of God in that way. Um, And you have seven priests, seven trumpets, seven ram's horns, or or they're the trumpets of ram's horns, horns, And they are to march around on that last day seven times. And on that seventh time, and by the way, I just go back to this. At any given stage, I truly believe the people of Jericho could have repented. At the the last day on, on round number six, they could have repented, and God in his mercy would have spared the entire city. Say, how do you know that? Well, because he did it in other places. (laughs) By the way, he did it in ancient Mosul, Iraq, which is Nineveh. That whole city had been spared. Remember, Jonah came and preached against that city and spared it. A couple hundred thousand people there that didn't even know their right from their left. Those were the little ones. And God had spared that great city of Nineveh at one time. And we read of that in the story of Jonah. But we know that he also would have spared Jericho. But they didn't repent. And God has to, as a righteous God... He's a God of justice, a God of righteousness. He has to punish sin. Otherwise, he would not be, he wouldn't, there's no justice. And he has to do that. But he's slow to anger, the Bible says. And his mercy is new and fresh every morning. I'm glad he gives mercy out there. And even in judgment, he has mercy. We see that with the, basically, Rahab being spared in this city that was to be destroyed but you know, when you look at the priests, they picture really those who stood between men and God. Because that's what the priest was. They, he was a mediator. He was one who would bring sacrifices and he would offer up praise and, and prayer on behalf of the people to God. And God wanted those who were intermediaries. Those who can bring that peace between man and God involved in his plan. By the way, Jesus is called our high priest. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. You read of that. And they were to go, and these priests were to be involved. They were these horns. They were ram's horns. By the way, the ram in Scripture was, it's a male lamb, and a ram was used in sacrifices. By the way, it is the ram that is used at the Passover, right? When the lamb was to be slain, it was to be a male lamb without spot or blemish. And the ram's horns picture for us sacrifice. They picture an atonement. See, an animal had to die. And that animal, though its blood never took away sin, that was not the the issue there, the picture was that there was a substitute. An animal, in this case, died for someone else on behalf of their sin. And that's pictured in the Passover itself. The lamb was to be slain. Its blood was to be applied at the doorpost and on the lintel of the door and back there in Egypt. And as the angel of death came and passed over, he would pass over that house and not judge that household when he saw the blood. 
And when Jesus appears in Scripture, and the very first time he's publicly declared, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it would make sense. The ram's horns were used both to blow and make noise, but they were also pictured that something had to die to have those horns in your hand. Then there was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, which is described in the book of Exodus and also in Leviticus, we have a picture there of um, this, you know, this Ark, which was the top of that was the mercy seat. That's where the blood sacrifice was done on the Day of Atonement every year. It was sprinkled on the mercy seat. A priest would go in. He would sprinkle the blood first for himself because he was a sinner. And then on behalf of the people. And the sacrifice was accepted before the Lord. And it was a picture of a greater to come who would put away all sacrifices forever. And that's the Lord himself. In Romans chapter 6 verse 10 it says, For the death that he died, that's Jesus, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. That's the great truth and the power of the sacrifice and resurrection of Christ. We have that today. Jericho. Really, all they had to do was follow God's plan, and then God would do the rest. And you know, that's all you have to do is follow God's plan, and He does the rest. When He says, Whosoever believes in me, he shall never perish. I love that. Listen, if you follow His plan, which is the only one plan, He doesn't have multiple plans. It's through the cross of Christ and the sacrifice that occurred there and through that risen Savior today that salvation is offered and there's no other plan. And you might think, well, I must have to do something for it. I I must have to go and earn it somehow. No, you can't. You won't. You just have to follow His plan. He does the rest. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Another thing that Dave Eubank said in that documentary, and I love what he said, it was an invitation to commitment. He says, we're all going to lose our lives someday. All of us. I hate to tell you that, but we're all going to lose our lives. It's a matter of how you're going to live your life now and for whom you're going to live your life now. And the reality is most people, they try to live for themselves only and they're still going to lose their, only, their own life. That's just, that's going to happen. But here's someone who said, I'm going to do it for someone else. And I'm going to go live for someone else. And I may even die young for someone else, but I'm going to live for the Lord in that. And I think ultimately when we come to this idea positionally that we've been crucified with Christ... I'm a dead man walking, is really what it says. Now, that isn't like some, I mean, maybe that's a little depressing, but it isn't. It's really a whole new take on things. It's like, if you know that you're going to die, and today's your last day, let's just say you knew today was your last day, how would you live today? Would it be a little different? Maybe not. Maybe you're living the way you want to live right now. But listen, I think I, I would say, I'm going to live, and, and i got a few people i got to tell about the Lord. I've got some, some, some things I need to, you know, go over here and do and that to make right. And, you know, all of a sudden we, we're living differently. We should always be living in the light, the fact that we're crucified with Christ and we don't live for ourselves. We're now living for Him. 
That's what Galatians 2.20 says. Submission to God's power. Well, there's a lesson there on supremacy. There's a lesson on submission. And thirdly, there's a lesson on uh, the lesson on success. We always want to be successful, right? Now, God's measure of success may not look like your measure, by the way. Some of us would say, how would, if I was to say for my, I got four kids, right? And now three grandchildren. And I would say, what do I want to see success in their lives? And what would it want to be? And um, probably most people would say, you know, as long as they're healthy and as long as they have, you know, enough money to live and they're, they're doing this and education. And those are all noble things. I think any parent, any grandparent would want to see security for their offspring. But what does God want success? God wants us to show up for the task that is ahead of us and not be caught up with the sin on one side and the good things on the other. That was another thing I heard. Because those two things are always fighting against us. The good things and the sin. And for the Christian, we're to live so close to the Lord that we can just pull up our tent pegs and go and march and move and do. And we need to be doing that. It involved a determination. I'm not going to read all the verses, but from verse 6 all the way down to verse 21, you have now going from the stage where Joshua has told the people what you're to do to what they do. And they do just what he told them to do, to go out there, march around the city. The last day they're to march around. And on that last time they're to blow the horn. And when they blow the horn, the walls come down. And uh, I'll move ahead here to Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. And my friends... The rest of the chapter that deals with Rahab being spared. But you read there in those last two verses that we just looked at of the fruition of following God. When they followed the Lord and did according to his plan, it happened just like he told them it would happen. He said, I've already taken the city. You just need to show up now and go and do it. And they did. And it sounds harsh. Like sometimes the Bible is criticized when they read, you read through passages like Joshua 6 and it says, they went in and they, with the edge of the sword, they killed young and old and even the animals that were there, everything else. That just sounds really harsh. And I would say, first and foremost, for the Christian, that's not our warfare. We're not to be going in and taking lands and making, you know, taking kings. But for Israel, they were to do that because God had commanded them and had given them that land. And for 400 years, the Canaanites, the people that were there in Jericho, um, generations of them, had space to repent, and they didn't. And it just shows again, this world as it is, there are people that say, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to live in my own sin, and I'm going to make as much sin as I can do. And they live without any knowledge or fear of God in their life. And someday God will have the last say unless they turn to him. And that invitation to turn to him in repentance, that's doing a 180 and about face from my ways to his ways, and saying, Lord, I trust you as my sin bearer. Come and forgive me of my sin. 
Help me to live my life now for you and not for myself. And I can guarantee you he, he will do that if you come to him in a heart like that. We need that. We need people who are willing to go out and to do like the, the people of Israel in the sense of following by faith. And we need that today. We need to be people of faith in all that. Well, there was certainly the idea of a lesson of one who is supreme, a lesson about submission, and then a lesson about success, all seen here in Joshua chapter 6. Let's pray. God, we are grateful, grateful for your word. And Lord, as we looked at it, kind of, again, hastily this morning, going down through these things in this text, Lord, I am so thankful First and foremost, that you're the God who is with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. This same powerful Lord who was seen here in the book of Joshua is seen today in our lives. Thank you that your mercy and grace is extended to us today. And Lord, I praise you for that. Because if we didn't have that mercy and grace, we would be consumed. And Lord, I thank you that you came and you entered into our world and went to the cross for us, took my place on the cross. And no greater love has any man. He lays his life down for his brothers. And Lord, thank you. You did that not only for brethren, but for enemies. What a wonderful truth that is. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Nick.